Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Megan Guy. Megan is co-founder and general partner at King River Capital, where she leads investments in tech companies that are transforming the ways in which we live, work, and build communities. King River is a global fund, but one of the newest Series A-focused funds with a presence in Colorado. Before King River, Megan spent 15 years focused on carbon finance and climate investing in both the private and public sectors. Megan, thanks so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Adam. Would love to hear a little bit about uh, what you're up to with King River and and what your journey was to take you to the dark side of VC like us. (laughs) (laughs) Dark side. With an intro like that, I don't know where to begin. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so look, I'm one of the founders, partner at King River Capital. King River, we started about, gosh, coming up on four years now. I have two partners. They both sit actually in Sydney, Australia, but we've all lived and worked quite internationally. And so kind of creating the firm, we felt like we'd be able to really help founders that were looking for sort of international experience, expertise. You know, we also have kind of taken a pretty focused approach. And so uh, I like to say we're kind of, you know, quite intentional about working with a small number of companies in more depth. We invest Series A to Series C, you know, but really want to just be the first call for that founder or team, you know, whenever they've got great news or terrible news or confusing news, uh, and and be able to help work through that with them. So we're looking for awesome companies in North America, Australia, um, and increasingly actually overseas now too. Um, we, we launched a digital asset fund earlier this year, so we're doing you know some some tokens and are pretty heavily involved in Web three. So anyway, that's kind of very brief background on King River. I lead the U.S. business. I'm based in Denver. I have uh, colleagues in New York and San Francisco. And uh, yeah, it's been a ton of fun, as you know, starting a, a VC firm from scratch. You know, it's interesting. There's there's really, we've had Rory San Miguel. I don't know if you know him from Propeller on the show earlier. And, and there's a lot of other folks that have kind of made this Australia to Denver Boulder connection. There's a, there's a pretty big group going now. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty awesome, actually. I think... Culturally, there's a lot of similarity, very sort of like active outdoorsy communities, people I think who are looking for both a really strong, ambitious entrepreneurial community, but also some of sort of those quality of life elements and and who are frankly really collaborative. I mean, that's one of the things I've found to just be awesome about the Denver scene. I, I spent most of my career in New York, in Sydney, and then in California, in the Bay Area, and then um, in LA for, for 10 plus years. And I think one of the things that's really exciting here is because it's still sort of an emerging venture community within, you know, the US context, people are really invested in each other's success. And it's like a company that wins big here. It's sort of a win for all of us and, you know, attracts more talent, attracts more attention, energy. And so I think, you know, a lot of founders, it's been very, very similar kind of dynamics in the ecosystem in Sydney. Uh, One of my founders or one of my partners um, compares it often to sort of 
Israel 20 years ago, <laughs> where you just had this really exciting nexus of energy and entrepreneurship and, and something really special was born out of that. So I like to think, yeah, some of those, those Aussie founders are finding stuff here. It's actually funny. We had a, a little event for portfolio company kind of team members that were in the Colorado area in my house um, earlier this summer. And I had sent a note out to all of our companies, including you know probably half our portfolio is in Australia, because uh, they've got big US operations in some cases. And, and it was like half the portfolio had one or more people working in the state of Colorado. So I hope that just continues to grow. We ended up having a nice little group. I thought we'd have a handful of people and it, it turned out to be a decent size. And so Megan, you actually got ahead of my, my next question I was going to ask about, you know, what have you seen in the Colorado ecosystem specifically? And I know you're, you're sort of a recent transplant here, but what gets you excited about it? And how does it compare to some of the other ecosystems you've been a part of? I think what gets me excited about it is like the caliber of the people, like they're good people, which sounds a little bit trite, <laughs> but you know, having worked in venture for going on 20 years now, you know, you meet some people that aren't great people. Um, and I'm sure those exist here somewhere too, but I have been very fortunate. I think so far, you know, like I said, that spirit of collaboration and like people really wanting to see each other succeed. And that's been awesome. And then I, th I think, you know, I have been here about a year and a half now. Um, I've met just a fantastic group of transplants. Uh, you've had a number of them actually on your show, I think, who've come from, you know, the coast, the Bay Area, like other places where I think they're still bringing a lot of the power of that network experience, but to a new new ecosystem. And so it's really fun, I think, to be part of kind of the early days uh, of, of building something, recognizing obviously there's a lot of building that's been going on since well before I got here. But hopefully I'm part of that infusion of, of energy that I think you're seeing in the space now. Um, Megan, uh, two two questions. One is, um, how did you get into VC in the first place in, in, in Australia? What brought you to Australia? I mean, just an interesting story. Yeah. So I got into VC kind of to some degree, like from the beginning of my career. So I started my career at Goldman Sachs and I had studied uh, environmental science and public policy as an undergrad. Like I thought I wanted to go work at EPA and you know, be a conservationist, but I realized I didn't know anything about business. And so that seemed like a good place to go to understand sort of how companies made decisions and what moved markets, because all of that obviously was driving so much of uh, the environmental and kind of community challenges and degradation that we see. While I was at Goldman, I just got a couple of like amazing opportunities. I got the chance to go work in Australia for a while, which was a, a newer business for us. And so it's hard to sort of say anything associated with Goldman Sachs is really a startup, but the Australia business did have a lot more of that feel. I mean, I think when I got over there, the investment banking team was maybe like 50 people versus hundreds <laughs> in New York where I was coming from. And so I made, you know, just some great relationships, really got a sort of a different lens on the business and ended up coming back to the US actually to start a new group that was focused on environmental strategy and markets across the whole of the bank. And so what sort of was neat about that was it was like finding, you know, this passion of mine in an unexpected place at Goldman and where the Australia piece actually ended up being quite helpful because so many of the issues we're facing around climate, you know, are manifesting themselves first and foremost there, right? It's a resource intensive economy. It's suffering much like California, like extreme droughts, <laughs> extreme floods on the other side. And so anyway, I've kind of throughout my career just managed to sort of keep that connectivity alive, both through the folks I've worked with. When I got out of business school, I joined a firm in LA called Angelino Group that was focused on uh, clean energy investing and sort of the climate and energy transition. And 
one of my partners there, who's actually one of my founding partners at, at King River now, he also had worked and lived in Australia for a while. And so we did a couple deals down there. And it's just sort of been a place that, you know, throughout my career, I've managed to stay connected up with. And so I took some time after when I left Angelino to kind of work on the other side of investing and, and really approach it from an impact lens. And so I had joined the Nature Conservancy, um, which is the world's largest conservation nonprofit, you know, and, and had a bunch of Australian clients there too, right? and was working with them to figure out how, how do we help transition that economy and invest in nature and, and do all sorts of things that help address our dependencies on fossil fuels and climate change. So yeah, so it's kind of just been a pattern. And then, you know, we started King River. My partners both ended up Back in Australia, after many years abroad, my partner Chris lived in Europe for a long time. And as I said, I think we were just really excited about the energy down there and the ability to take all of these lessons that we'd learned um, from our international experience and help impart those to startups in that ecosystem and then you know, startups uh, in the States, obviously, too. So bringing it back to, to Colorado, before we jump into your biggest lesson, um, is there a company here that you're excited about that you see growing fast? Or you're just excited about what they're doing? Yeah. So actually, I'll tie it back to Australia. <laughs> That's okay. You're, you, we didn't plan this beforehand, but you've had some wonderful leading questions. There's a business called The Mintable, which has just started, uh, I think they're maybe a year and a half-ish old, I would guess, born out of COVID. Two amazing co-founders. One, Mel Miller, is based in Denver. Um, the other, Lauren Fifield, or sorry, Lauren Humphrey. I've known her a very long time. I always... <laughs> mistake uh, the the name change. Um, anyway, Lauren is in Sydney and they've started a company that's focused on helping managers learn to be better managers. And they've got some really interesting kind of AI and tech they're planning to deploy into that problem to make it something that is not something you sit and think about once or twice a year when you sit in a training session, but part of kind of your day-to-day -day flow and, and a habit that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. And I obviously love the Denver Sydney connection just uh, <laughs> it would be a wonderful success story. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into why we're here today, Megan. We'd love to hear about the biggest lesson that you've learned during your career. You know how you learned it um, and how you apply it to your everyday now. I was thinking about this over the weekend. I was camping and hiking a bunch, and where I kind of came out was a little bit of an inversion of you know you always get told like follow your heart, do what you love. Um, and what I found is actually, it's possible to really love what you do without necessarily doing exactly what you love. What I mean by that is kind of back to the story of like what got me into venture. So as I said, I was, I was at the Nature Conservancy. I was focused on conservation. I was working with people that, you know, cared very deeply about our planet and the people on it and, you know, building sustainable, healthy communities and ecosystems. And I found... I was still just like really searching. It was a weighty job in the sense that uh, every day you woke up and you saw, you know, the latest news of a devastating flood or a community whose homes were wiped out by wildfire or terrible heat waves, you know, impacting those among us disproportionately who have the least. And although I was like working on that problem every day, I found I got into a pretty bad headspace, actually. And in part, I think that was because it was sort of almost something I loved too much, <laughs> I cared about too much, and it really became my whole identity. And what that meant was like when things weren't going well, professionally, personally, you know, in the macro world at large, I took that really hard. And it was very difficult to kind of 
you know, feel like you were making a difference and having the positive impact that I think we all look for in our work, right? And finding the joy in it. It just felt like no matter how hard we were working and how hard you were running, things were going backwards. And so uh, when, you know, I had stayed in touch with with uh, my partner, Zeb, who I mentioned, I used to work with at Angelino Group, he'd moved back to Australia. And when we were talking on one of our catch-ups when he was back in the States, and he said, I'm thinking about starting a VC fund, like you should do this with me, it would be awesome. Like we loved working together. We know there's just this amazing ecosystem that we can be a part of. And I was like, that all sounds great. Like I really enjoyed working with him. I love working with young companies and, and helping people kind of figure out their path and work through tricky situations. But, you know, he said, I, I don't want to make it an impact fund. You know, we did that at Angelino and it was very hard being in a very sector focused fund, go through sort of some of the, the macroeconomic changes and everything else. And so he was like, that's, that's kind of the thing you need to get comfortable with if we're going to do this because really excited about it. We think it'll be awesome, but we don't want to be sort of explicitly impact focused or an ESG fund. And I struggled with that a lot because I felt like I was sort of abandoning this thing that had been such a passion of mine for 15 years prior. And I'd you know, gotten way too many degrees in and like built a whole network and, and everything else. And I decided to do it ultimately because I felt like I wanted to get back into investing. And this was a great way to kind of do that. It would open up some options for me. And I was sort of optimistic that like once we got past fund one, I could talk them into fund two being an impact fund. And what has just been the most amazing, wonderful thing about the journey has been I am like as happy as I've ever been professionally and personally. And I think a huge piece of that is actually not having sort of the weight of the world <laughs> on every decision. I've, I've found impact in so many places that I wouldn't have normally thought about it first. And that's been just immensely rewarding. Um, and I've kind of been able to lean into being, you know, the person on a board or on a cap table that wants to have those questions about like, what, what's the change you're trying to drive in the world? What are the risks, right? How do we think about building something in a way that is sustainable for the long term? Um, and I mean that not only environmentally, but sort of around like community and safety and <laughs> health and, and all these other things. And so that has been fantastic. I mean, I just feel like I adore what I do every day, but it is not kind of the passion that drove me for most of my life. Um, and it's been really joyful kind of to experience that and find that there are so many other places that those impact elements show up. And then just to see how many people out there are building companies, you know, with that spirit at their core, whether we're calling them, you know, sustainable focused businesses or not, or they're measuring certain attributes. I think, you know, there's a whole generation of entrepreneurs that really want to have a positive change in the world um, and catalyze that. So that's been really fun to be a part of. So Megan, it sounds like the change and being able to have that impact in other ways has been really fulfilling. Were there any sort of specific questions or criteria you used when making the decision to go back into venture from what you were doing that you feel like helped increase the odds that you actually ended up with sort of this dual fulfillment in this role? Because I could also see some people maybe making a jump like this in being very unfulfilled. And so I'm wondering how you did it so successfully. Yeah, I think a huge piece of it comes down to like the people you're working with, right? For me, you know, knowing that my partners ethically were very aligned with sort of all those things that mattered to me, even though we weren't kind of saying we're going to go out and raise an impact fund and go target, you know, impact oriented LPs. You know, we all kind of just said like very early on, 
life's too short. <laughs> you know, we instituted, uh, I don't know how, if I can say this on your podcast, but we instituted a no assholes rule. And so, you know, it was like, if we're working with someone that we don't feel like is a good person and who's going to take on the feedback we give them, and they may not always make a decision that aligns with sort of what we've recommended, but but that will listen and really think through, you know, those challenges we're posing, then, you know, that's not a fit for us. There are plenty of like companies out there that do align with all those things. And those are the ones we want to spend our time with. So I think being just able to have a really direct and transparent conversation with my partners about that at the, the outset and with the companies we work with, right? I mean, we've kind of, like I said, leaned into that. I think it, it's actually a little bit differentiating in this market to, you know, sit down with a company in the gaming space and say, how are you thinking about the problem of like kids getting addicted to your game and screen time? <laughs> and, you know, have you thought about that? Like, let's think about it proactively rather than at the end, once, you know, you've got problems that have emerged and, you know, across any sort of sector or industry, I think we've been able to have those conversations with our founders, with other investors, and 99% of the time they've been really constructive. And I think particularly for early stage companies, often not things that, that get a lot of your time in board meetings and things like that. So just making sure you've got alignment, I think around the importance of some of those conversations and you're going to carve out space for it is what has made it really successful for me. I think if I just sort of internalized all of that and assumed it would happen, it, as you said, could have been a really different and much less fulfilling outcome. Megan, I think it's a phenomenal lesson. And actually it's something, I don't know if you've encountered this, but I, I talk about something similar a lot of times when I'm talking to younger folks, especially in their careers who are looking for a job or trying to think what's next. And they oftentimes come and say, I want to work at a impact-driven company. I want to work at a company that's that's doing something that I deeply care about, right? And I say that that's great, but I think you should open the aperture quite a bit because what the company is actually stating they're doing as their core product is only one piece of the equation, right? Is that something you've encountered similarly with people looking for, for jobs or advice? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, you know, you can sort of find that mission fulfillment in a couple places. And I think it's actually sort of the shortcut is what the company does, right? Saying like, okay, I'm going to go work for a solar company because I care about climate change. Well, there are great companies in the solar space run by people that, you know, are thinking about that every day and, you know, want to give you uh, a well-managed and interesting career and all kinds of opportunities. And there are people in that space who could care less about those things, right? That just like want to make the next dollar or that have built a culture that isn't one that I think you know, young people may be able to thrive in. Like, so it really is, I think, a pretty holistic kind of approach that you need to take. And yeah, I mean, I would say there are a lot of companies that fall into the the ESG bucket by virtue of what they do that aren't companies where I would be fulfilled, you know, in terms of just the culture they're building and the way that they're thinking about how they impact the world. I think something else you said around, even if you were, let's say you were to go to a company that was you know on paper right seemed completely unrelated to a, an area of passion or or impact being on the ground floor there and making sure that you can do everything you can to push that company in the right direction or uh, help you know all the small decisions that get made every day at every company can be incredibly impactful oh yeah and i think like being able to be the person that leans into that space where no one's in <laughs> yet at a business also is is super fulfilling i mean that for me was kind of what goldman sachs ended up being which you know, on paper, like I said, I thought I'd do my two-year analyst program, like learn a little bit about business, 
and then go work at EPA or you know do something kind of in the public sector focused on environment. And it turned out like this was a topic actually companies were really interested in starting to think about. It was like back in the days of actually even maybe before like the Waxman Markey legislation <laughs> looked like we were going to have you know some sort of climate policy, and there wasn't anyone else there that was really particularly fluent in that um, or that had spent time thinking about it, and so. It was awesome to be able to be a part of building that. And, you know, that that little team I was a part of, I think by the time I left, we had the biggest clean tech portfolio on Wall Street, certainly. I think it was like $2 billion or something of the firm's own capital that had been put into clean energy projects. You know, we had a whole research team that was focused on like incorporating ESG into all the basic core industry models um, and really making that part of a holistic approach. You know, we were working with clients, like on advising them how to think about transactions a little differently. Like it really just touched every piece of the firm. And it was extremely rewarding to be a part of that. And like I said, it was not a job that like got advertised or at the time, you know, I applied would have known was there. So I think I think you're right on that leaning into some of those opportunities in unexpected places can be really powerful and, and very fulfilling professionally as well as personally. Well, Megan, I want to ask one more question be- before we wrap, because something you said, I think, is a lesson that Ed and I have both learned, right? It, it's often much more about the people, right, that you're doing something with than anything else. Any just very tactical tips for people that are listening to sort of how to find your people or to, how to find the not assholes to work with? Oh, man, that's a really good question. You know, I think it's sort of one of those things that to some extent, you find your people by finding your not people first. <laughs> and as painful a lesson as that is to learn, I think some of the really difficult work environments I've been in, although they were draining at the time, were immensely valuable in terms of just, you know, really clarifying to me, like, what do I want in a manager, in a teammate, in a business partner? And being able then to like have the confidence to have that conversation up front, right? And say, like, this is what matters to me. This is how I do things. <laughs> this is, you know, the way it's important to me that my firm represents itself publicly. And like, are you on board with that or not? And, you know, the other thing I think is like actions speak louder than words there, right? And I think a lot of people kind of, particularly in an interview process, right, will say the right things. But what I've always just found most valuable is like finding people that have worked with that, you know, group outside of a structured process and just understanding, you know, like how, how is this, and when we've talked about this a bunch, right? Like, uh, how was the range team to work with, right? As an early stage founder, like, what did you really value about what they brought to the table? When did you disagree with them? And how, how did they handle that? How did you handle that? Um, and I think that's, that's just the way for me that I've always sort of figured out, like, who are the people that I want to have some experience with and, you know, increase kind of the frequency and the depth of touch points and who are the ones that we can have mutual respect, but choose to do things very differently. And so kind of avoid there. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, where can our listeners follow along what you're up to or see what King River's doing? Great question. We are active to some extent on social. We're trying to get better. <laughs> it's a big job in VC, as you guys know. So you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, LinkedIn is probably the place I'd say we keep the most updated and we share a lot about what's going on with our portfolio. So the company is King River Capital. I'm Megan Guy. And yeah, please reach out. We're uh, always looking to build our ecosystem of interested and interesting people. So I'm sure many of your listeners will fit that bill. Cool. Well, thanks, Megan. Thanks, guys. Great to chat. 